Good morning, Northbrook. Um, the reading today is from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have, said, where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of God. All right. Well, good morning. I'm Jake Ledette, one of the pastors here. It's always a joy to be with you. So um, if you're new with us, uh, especially this week, um, we are in the second week of uh, just a little three-week series on community. Uh, Last week, I preached for way too long. Uh, but on community and community here at Northbrook and in particular uh, community groups. So if you miss that, you can get the benefit of podcasting it and speeding it up to two times and you don't have to sit through quite as long as the rest of us did. Uh, But last week, that's what we talked about was what does it look like to be a Christian community together as Northbrook Church and what are our hopes behind uh, the eight community groups we have that gather throughout uh, the North Fort Worth area. And then this week, we're taking a little break broader look at community. Uh, The reality that we are a community uh, within a community and and what does that mean for us uh, as a church and what you know what would God's hope for us be. Uh, We're going to obviously look at Jeremiah as we do that and then we're actually going to take some time uh, to uh, just in the theme of the day and the theme of this last 40 days uh, at the end uh, we're going to take some time to pray about some of the stuff we talked about today and pray for our city and then just if you're curious next week we're going to look at Psalm 67 uh, and we're going to talk about what it looks like to be multiplying communities. Uh, not just as uh, our community groups, but as a church, as a people, as Christians uh, in North Fort Worth, throughout uh, the nations. What does it look like to pursue and be about uh, multiplication as God is about it, not as sometimes we can confuse uh, those things. So let's think about where we live for a minute. So we're a community within a community. And first, I realize that many of you are coming from North Richland Hills or Keller or Saginaw or Haslett or some other uh, nearby city. But most of us actually have a Fort Worth address. Uh, Fort Worth has gobbled up most of the places around it. And uh, most of us live in some part of Fort Worth. Most of this even area that many people would move to and think, oh, I don't live in Fort Worth anymore. 
Surprise, you still live in Fort Worth, uh, and your taxes will prove that. Uh, but, uh, that, that and so that's uh, where we live. I like maps, so yeah, here we are. We get to look at maps a lot here. So this is actually uh, North Fort Worth. This is actually all the different city uh, council districts. I'm actually meeting with a, a couple different city council folks from uh, North Fort Worth over this next week, and you can pray for that. Uh, but this is where we're at. So you see those little pockets of Haslett and Saginaw. Uh, Keller, Wataga, Northridge Hills, Roanoke, uh, up there. But I show that because this is uh, this is where we live. This is where we play. This is where we go to church. This is where some of us work. This is where we live. This is where we build relationships. This is this is where we are. Um, and and I, I bring that up for a couple reasons. One, we're not in uh, Babylon. Uh, as, the, as the, the people in, that are exiles in this passage are. We're not in first century Rome as the church was uh, figuring that out. We're not doing church in the Middle East right now and all the complexities that come with that are China. We live in North Fort Worth. Uh, we live in a particular place that has particular strengths and weaknesses and realities, and it's good for us to consider that. Uh, it's good for us to have some awareness and some thoughtfulness uh, about the place that God has put us. Um, and so uh, here's just from the Fort Worth website. Here's some stats uh, about Fort Worth. I think these will be on the screen as well. Maybe some of these will be new to you. And well, let me say this. So if you live in Saginaw, you're like, I don't care about Fort Worth or I don't, who does it matter? As the surrounding areas, so goes Fort Worth, so goes Saginaw. Like we, we can't detach ourselves from uh, the success of one another. We're, we're, there's so much overlap. So, uh, but here we go. Fort Worth's population 956,709 as of July 1st, 2022. Fort Worth is the 13th largest city in the United States by population. Of all the cities over 50,000 people, Fort Worth had the largest gain in population in the past year, adding 19,170 people. If you do it by percentage, Georgetown, actually, Georgetown, Texas, is the fastest growing city. In, uh, but, but just by population, number of people added, Fort Worth all the cities in America, over 50,000, Fort Worth is the fastest growing. That's, that's something. Um, of the top 30 most populous cities, Fort Worth is the fastest growing at 4.1% population growth. Uh, of the top 30 most populous cities, Fort Worth ranks 24th in the terms of population density. Only Oklahoma City, Jacksonville, Nashville, Davidson, blah, 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 uh, have less dense. So there's a little room to spread out here in Fort Worth is basically that point. And then the projected population growth by... Uh, 2045 is 1.2 million. So from 900,000, 950,000 to a uh, good bit of years to, to 1.2 million. Now, many of you hear those stats and you just want to go. You're just like, I want all these people are coming here, ruining everything and making all this traffic. And I just need to get out of here. Uh, and I'm not, hey, getting some space, a slower pace of life. I'm not here to argue against that. That, that can be fine. But my question is, wherever you're at, maybe you've got a little space, maybe you've got a little land, maybe you're right here in the, the mix of things, maybe you live across the street from this school. Uh, wherever you live, what is your heart for that area? What, what are your hopes for the community that surround the, the area you live? And, and obviously a better question is what is God's heart for that area? What, what is God's hope for the place that you live? Some of us are just so busy living, we just have our head down and we never just take a step back and, man, what is God doing? What is he up to? 
What is he wanting to do in this area? This passage in Jeremiah, although it was written thousands of years ago to a particular place, to a particular people at a particular time, it does show God's heart in that way. It shows God's heart for uh, the place that his people live. And so that's what we'll uh, see, whether we're living in the promised land, whether we're living in exile, or where we're living in uh, North Fort Worth. And so this is what we're going to see as we look at this passage today, that God's heart is for his people uh, to seek him and to seek peace and to seek lives of repentance. And so this is God's heart for everybody, for every person, for everybody that lives around us, that comes to church, that doesn't go to church. This is God's heart for people And this is kind of a non-negotiable heart for the people that would call upon his name. That we would seek him, that we would seek peace, uh, and that we would seek to live lives of repentance. And so even if you look at verse 4, there's an important word that's used there. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so if you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, the, Old Testament, the main kind of idea of the Old Testament is God redeems his people from slavery in Egypt. Like that's the, if you think about the gospel in the Old Testament, there it is. It's that uh, his people were uh, slaves in Egypt and out of nothing they did, but everything he did, he redeems them out of Egypt and out of slavery and delivers them into the promised land. But if you read the entirety of the Old Testament, it's that happens and then there's just up and down relationship with God and his people uh, of them being obedient and them rebelling and them going into exile and them crying out in repentance and them coming back. And we see this kind of up and down relationship. And so the idea of living in exile is uh, an incredibly uh, significant theme uh, throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. And that has happened again. When we come to uh, Jeremiah 29, we're kind of in the middle Some people from Jerusalem have been exiled, and then the rest of them are about to be exiled. And Jeremiah is kind of uh, uh, foretelling that. And obviously, Babylon is now their captor, although it's been different people throughout uh, the years. And, um, And although most of the Old Testament views exile as a purely negative reality in which Israel is just a desire to be free from it, Um, God takes a different view here in Jeremiah 29 that we see even kind of fulfilled even all the more in the New Testament. And we see that as he goes on in verse 5. So it's not just, hey, start following me and and you can come back to the promised land. It's build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So God is saying all the normal stuff of life that you did when you were with uh, God's people in Jerusalem, now do, na- do now in the midst of exile. But there's, then there's this clear exhortation. It's to multiply there and do not decrease. Basically, continue to be who I made you to be, not who Babylon wants you to be. And here's, here's the important thing. There's like in, you know, you're, if you're into world domination, there's usually a few different strategies here. Uh, I don't, you shouldn't be into world domination, but, uh, uh, but there are a few different strategies. One, you just kind of obliterate people. You wipe them off the face of the earth. You, you, know, uh, you, you subjugate them. You get them into slavery, or you assimilate them. 
Uh, and that was Babylon's MO. They would conquer people and they wouldn't destroy them. They would try to assimilate them uh, into their culture. And, uh, and God is saying to his people, hey, be in this place, but continue to be who you are. Actually, continue to be more of who you are. Grow into uh, being who I have called you to be as my people. Be in this place that's going to try to influence you and try to change you and uh, love and serve and care for and think of them, but don't assimilate to them. Don't become like they are. Be who I have called you to be. It's just this idea of uh, St. Augustine's The City of God. That as God's people from the Old Testament to the New Testament to right now, that God's people are always a city within a city. That, that we are always God's people within whatever community that we have found ourselves. And the, the, obviously the struggle is, okay, do we assimilate to all the influences and all the culture and all the temptations around us? Or do we continue to grow and increase and become all that God has called us to be, not what the surrounding culture necessarily wants us to be? And obviously there's some overlap there, but there's a ton of difference between uh, what uh, our, our people at our school or uh, wherever would, would call us and want us to be. We should shine through the city as a city within a city. And obviously Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount that we learned a couple years ago as we went through that. Matthew five fourteen through 16. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. That's what we're seeing in Jeremiah 29. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so that's what God is calling uh, these exiles to do in uh, Jerusalem. I've felt this more acutely. So if you know my family, we um, have homeschooled. We have four kids. We've homeschooled all of them for every year of their life that they've been in school. I should have thought through how to say this a little more clearly. Uh, They've been in homeschool. And then this fall, we all started this new charter school. And so they're all going to this same school. And so the difference between homeschool and going to a public school is a lot. Uh, and uh, a lot of different kids, and a lot of different kids. It's just been, I wish you could hear the stories my kids tell. Uh, I know so much about some of these kids that I've never met. Uh, and, uh, but it's been one of the things that, uh, especially as I think about older two, Wyatt and Sophia, like they've been, for their little lives, they've been Christians for most of their lives. Uh, and so now they're going to a school where there's a lot of non-Christians around them. Uh, there's just a lot of different people with a lot of different influences around them and doing all kinds of different things around them. And they're figuring out, okay, what does it look like for us to uh, be who God has called us to be in this place that, uh, where there's all these different uh, and, and to be honest with you, they're like, it's not incredibly temptations. It's just uh, people doing it. Like, how, what does it look like to engage uh, the world uh, around us and be this kind of, uh, in their case, this community within a community? And, and that's what we're trying to figure out. That's what we're trying to figure out in our neighborhood. That's what we're trying to figure out at our job. That's what we're trying to figure out where, wherever we are. And, and here's what that does. That one of the things that does is it, it helps us feel the exile part of, our, of this calling a little bit more. It helps us feel the otherness that we have. 
Like we are different, and there's aspects of that that I want my kids to embrace. Yes, you don't do that. Yes, that's not a behavior you're used to. Yes, that's not something that we would encourage you towards, and you should feel the difference between uh, you and the others around you. That's not all bad. That's actually a good, healthy thing. This is, this is, what God, this is the metaphor God uses uh, for Christians, that we are exiles. We're not to feel completely at home, and so they more, and me kind of through them, feel more and more they're not at homeness. Uh, as they uh, go to this school. And again, I think one of the things we have to do is embrace the reality that we are these kinds of exiles. And even if you think about a genuine exile, someone that's in a foreign land, amidst the people that speak a foreign language, that doesn't know anything about the land, and just trying to daily survive is uh, it's one of the hardest things to do. And that's the metaphor God uses for the Christian life. So that reality is the metaphor that God uses for the Christian life, that there's an exileness to our reality. But, but here, here's where we can kind of go wrong, because all of that's true. But then what we can do is kind of over-embrace our exileness over-embrace our otherness and be like, okay, we just need to get away from all these people and we just need to do our own thing and be, you know, not engaged. But then obviously that is, is not God's heart uh, that misses out on God's heart as we see in verse 7, which he says, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and say withdraw from, then say hide from, then say leave to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Not only just that, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And so we see this word three times in just verse 7, this word welfare. And it's a really common Hebrew word that you all know. It's just shalom. That's what it's saying. Like we should actually, it's a very uh, Hebrew, very Israelite, very Jewish word that God is saying you should actually seek for everybody. Jew and non-Jew alike, Christian and non-Christian alike, we should actually desire God's peace and God's shalom and all that God wants for us, for everybody. We're not to embrace our exileness, our otherness in a way that uh, withdraws, but actually engages and desires peace for everybody that is around us. And we see these three different ways. We're supposed to seek the peace of the city, the welfare, the shalom, the peace of the city. We're supposed to pray for the peace, the shalom of the city, and we're supposed to actually enjoy the city. We should actually have great joy. And I think you can see how it's important to have all three of these. Because one, if you're just seeking the peace of the city, if you're just like, you're just a, basically just a social justice warrior and you're seeing all the injustice and you just want to make it right, but you're actually not praying and you're actually not enjoying the city at all, what you're going to do is either be prideful that you've made some ground road, you're going to burn out because you're trying so hard in your own strength, and you're going to burn others out. Um, we've probably all been at that place where we're super gung-ho about one thing or we've come in contact with super gung-ho about their one thing and then we just get tired um, because what we're trying to do is seek the peace of the city but we're not praying for the city we're not actually realizing that oh god is the one that's going to do this work we, we just get to call to be faithful and there's actually a joy here it's not just injustice there's actually things to enjoy about the place uh, that God has put us but you also can't do any of the other ones by themselves because you can't if you just pray like okay I'm just I'm not going to do anything I'm just going to pray for the city and then all of a sudden one step later you're just withdrawing from everything around you because you're just you're not see, you're not actually making decisions based on those prayers uh, you're just praying and getting alone with God and okay God's going to do that as opposed to oh no God's called you 
to seek the welfare of your city. And then obviously the last one, and this is probably where most of us are most tempted, to just enjoy the city. Like when we, we want to enjoy what God has done, we want to enjoy the good common grace of the city, um, and then what we do is we just become consumers like everybody else. What can this city give me? What, and did it stop giving me that? Then I'm going to go. And I'm going to go somewhere else. And that, that city can give me that. That house can give me that. That neighborhood can give me that. As opposed to, no, we should enjoy the place that God has put us. But we also should see what's needed. And we should seek what's needed. And we should pray to God on behalf of the city uh, around us. And when I say city, I sh- we should be thinking of like actual people. Like we're not praying for a well, we may pray for a building, but we're not praying for like a skyscraper. We're not praying for g- general things. We're praying for people, uh, the people that live in the city that we want to see God uh, move in their lives uh, and bless them. We need all of these different kinds of, of realities uh, in place. Again, not just to look to what we can uh, get, but what we can actually give and provide for our city. Here's an example of how this could look. Christians are different because we believe God created man, male, male and female. He created two sexes, male and female. We, are, we feel our otherness in that reality more now than probably we ever have, at least in our lifetime for sure. Uh, we've, we feel the otherness in that way. Uh, we, all, we acknowledge that it's a clear, how God has made humanity is a clear spiritual and physical reality. And again, that just makes us different. But because even in that our difference, we want shalom for those around us. We want to be a safe, welcoming place for those that have been hurt by the lies of our culture. For those that have been chewed up and spit out by the lies of our culture that said that's not the truth. Those that even have been celebrated for a minute, but then start to have about the, the, the confusion of their gender and sexuality. And they've been celebrated by our culture. But then they start to have any questions. And those people that were celebrating, with them, celebrating them are now done with them. And now where do they go? Now, would we be a place that's not just other, but also wants welfare for people, wants peace for people, actually wants what God wants for people? That, that's the kind of place that God is calling his people to be. Again, don't, don't, you can see how we err on one side or the other. Like we just want everybody to feel welcome, but we don't actually talk about what God says is quite clear. Um, or we talk about what God says is quite clear, and we're very unwelcoming to anybody else. Uh, but God calls us to be all of that to anybody that would have need. Amen? So Jeremiah talks about some of the people that tell some of these lies in verse 8 and 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Here's what the false prophets are doing. They're telling, there's, again, there's two groups, people still in Jerusalem, not in exile yet, people in, in uh, Babylon that are in exile. And they're telling the people that are in exile, hey, this is going to end quickly. Everything's going to be fine. And they're telling people in Jerusalem, hey, Babylon's gonna, we're going to conquer Babylon. Everything's going to be fine. And God's saying, they're lying. No, no, that is not the case. That is not the case at all. And Jeremiah is the only one telling the truth. And you know what? No one believes him. Jeremiah is like one of the biggest book of the Bible, one of the longest, you know, uh, ministries in, of, of the prophets. He had two disciples his whole life, and one of them he kind of paid to take notes. And so I don't, you know, and, and so we hear these kinds of verses, and they sound so beautiful, and they really are, but I don't think we get the context of them. 
Like the, Israel is not listening to God. And, and, and the, the people they are listening to are saying, hey, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry, everything's going to be okay. Now we know as Christians, everything's eventually going to be okay. But they're talking about like in this life, in this presence, in this right now, these things are, are going to work out and it's going to be fine. And it's not the truth. And so I think about even when you think about the lies told by our culture, well, let's just think about ourselves for a second. Are we false prophets? Do we go around and tell people in their lives, hey, I'm fine with you being an optimist, uh, but are we going around saying, oh, everything's going to be fine. This is going to work out just fine. Maybe, but you might be a false prophet. Are you going around looking for other false prophets? You want to hear that everything's going to be fine. And so you're going around looking for people to tell you, hey, everything's going to be fine. This is going to work out just fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, We should be mindful of that. And here's how, here's, here's how we know what is a false prophet and is what is not a false prophet. We have one standard. It's this. We have nowhere else to go. We have no other standard. We have no other like, oh, we can go to this or get confirmation here or get confirmation there. No, we have one standard of what is true or false prophecy. And here's the thing. When, we, when it comes to even like the, what's most important in our life, the Bible is not um, unclear. Even if you think about all the hot button issues in our day, if you think about uh, abortion or you think about sexuality or if you think about race, like the Bible's not unclear about those things. It's really clear. And we can just go and see what the Bible says. And we can know, oh, that is what is true. It's not just that everything's going to be fine. Actually, things could get a lot worse as things do for God's people. Things do get worse. And so our everything's fineness has to, to, has to depend on who God is and what he's doing, not on just our desire to, for our situation to be uh, a little bit better. And so when it comes to, obviously, the lies in our culture, we should trust God, not our culture. And then it goes on in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And so if you were here a while back, you, you remember Ezra and Nehemiah and us going through those books of the Bible, and that is exactly what's being prophesied here, is that God will eventually call a remnant back to uh, rebuild uh, the temple in Jerusalem. So this points to that, but Jeremiah is also, as all of the prophets are, they're also pointing past that. That, that there's this, even if, as you remember Ezra and Nehemiah, there was this hope that that, of those people that that would be the fulfillment that they'd all hoped for. And it was something, but it definitely wasn't that. Because God still had uh, plans of his redemption to unfold. And he still does even now. And so it points actually to this. Something we all get to look forward to. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so even the promise that God is making to these exiles here, 
is completely and fully fulfilled. And this is the only thing we can ever mean by it's going to be okay. It's eventually going to be okay when Revelation 21 happens. Um, And we're going to be fine because Revelation 21 is going to happen. But obviously we all know the difficulties and struggles and trials and hurt and suffering that come in this life. They They are plenty, but yet God is with us. And then in all that context, we get the, probably, obviously, the most known verse of Jeremiah. Anybody go to DBU? Anybody? I know there's someone else. Okay. Uh, there's a couple. Some of y'all just being shy. Someone else? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I went to DBU. I, I, I like, graduated when I was, like, 30, so, you know, don't be too proud of me. Uh, but uh, I, uh, but th- this was, like, the verse of DBU, Jeremiah 29, 11. And it's, like, the most known verse, surely, in Jeremiah, very known verse. But it's in all of this context that we get Jeremiah 29, and I'll read through the end. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And so what happens, obviously we see verse 11. God has these plans for us. And what we often do is just take verse 11 as a blanket promise for anybody, anywhere, at any time. Um, And and God is actually saying this to a people that are being disobedient. He is calling a people to this that are not experiencing this. And he's calling people back to this promise that he has made them. And he's calling them to obedience. It's not, so what we do is we say, well, it doesn't matter. That I just get to enjoy the, the fruits of this verse no matter what is actually going on in my life in any way. And you could just look at what's going on in the life of Israel and Judah to see that is obviously not the case. Uh, this, is, this, is the old, this is the covenant that God said, hey, you walk in my ways and you will get uh, the fruit of verse 11. This is what God is calling people back to. It's a beautiful promise, but again, it's a promise being made to those who are being punished for their disobedience to God and a promise to those that return to God. Uh, I like what one commentator says. He says, the prophet asked people over a hundred times to turn around or repent. So one of the main themes of Jeremiah is that, to turn around, to repent, to turn from what you are doing to God. He promises that when people turn from their sins and return to God, they will receive forgiveness and healing. He firmly believes that God will renew a repenting people, and he mourns the lack of repentance in his day. God comforts him with the knowledge that repentance and renewal will eventually come. And then one more quote from the commentator says, In summary, the biblical pursuit of shalom which God is calling us to here, emphasizes the priority of repentance and prayer among God's own people over activism and ministry directed toward others without excluding the latter, of course. And so as we think about what God has called us to, as we think about the exiles we are, as we think about that God's called us to seek him, that God's called us to seek the shalom of our city, and God's called us to seek lives of repentance, that all of these things uh, work together. That we can't want actually physical good for people if we don't want spiritual good for them. 
Like, like there's, there's not one or the other. We should desire all of these things, and we should desire it for the place that God has planted us and, and where we live. And, and one of the things that we, one of the reasons we don't do that is because us, as his people, are not seeking him. With all of our heart, we're not turning from the things that our city is continually turning to. We're kind of running after everything that everybody around us is continuing to run after. And we're wondering, where is God? And God is saying, where are you? And that's one of the th- like, and even when I talked about how if you, if you know the Old Testament, you look at Israel and you think, what a bunch of dummies. You think, man, God parted a Red Sea. You think God did so many miraculous things that they saw with their own eyes and they continued to not trust him. They continued to forget. They continued to hunger back for slavery in Egypt. It shouldn't be long before you think, oh, wait, I am kind of similar. I do so many of those same things. God has opened my eyes to the beauty of who Jesus is. I've seen him move in my life and others' lives in miraculous ways. He's lived, he's died, he's resurrected from the grave that I could have life with God. And yet so early and so often, I turn and I look to something else. Even as we were singing earlier, just that idea of being loved by God. I think of how often I flee from that truth. And I think, man, I just got to, and I don't, it's just I live in this constant restless needing to do a little bit more. And then when I actually return to, oh, wait, God loves me. I get to kind of take a deep breath and I get to rest in that truth and I get to, I get to work out of that as opposed to working for, oh wait, I just, if I can just be a little bit better or do a little bit more or be a little more efficient or steward this a little better, uh, then, then, I'll, then I'll kind of approve of myself. Maybe others will approve of me. I know theology too well to say that about God, but that's really what I'm believing. Um, instead of, oh wait, God loves me. There's, there, it's, it's hard to count how many times God returns me back to him with that simple truth and, and helps me realize how much I'm actually not believing that simple truth. That I am loved by God. And so that's why the theme of Jeremiah, the theme of the Old Testament, the theme of uh, much of the Christian life is to continually turn away from the things we're looking for. All that approval, to feel sufficient, to feel good about ourselves, that those things are empty, they're hollow cisterns, they're not going to give what they promise, and God has already given everything. And we get Him. He's given Himself. And we get to enjoy all that he has for us. And so it's these kind of repentant lives that lead to a people that, that, that seek the welfare of the city, that, 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 seek, the, the, that seek the God of the city, that, that try to be the city within a city, showing what it looks like to, to love and follow and be fulfilled in this God and actually want to bless and encourage uh, and see all the injustice around us actually... Uh, see God move and, and bring justice to those areas because we realize how kind and how good he's been to us. And again, what, what frees us up is instead of looking to get all of those things, we look to give our lives for those things because we have a God that's given everything. We have a God that's called us to pick up our cross and follow him. And, and this is what we get to do uh, with those around us. God's people pray and repent, and we trust God with his timing of restoration. Ultimately, and even in this life. Restoration we want to see, we trust God. 
We seek him with all of our heart. We repent, continue to turn him to him, and then uh, we trust him. I'm going to close with Hebrews 13, 12 through 14. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That's our model. Jesus was punished. Jesus endured being outcast, being spit upon. Jesus endured all of that so that in the city that we live, we could run after those very people. We could recognize we are those very people and we have needed him to welcome us. And so we get to welcome others. Let me pray for us towards that end. Father, I just thank you that you have a seeking and pursuing heart or else where would we be? We see that throughout the Old Testament, you continually pursuing and seeking and gathering your people. We see that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He sought us out and he saved us, not based on any work of our own, but based on his compassion and steadfast love towards us. And so, Spirit, would you help us to believe that? That in Christ we are loved completely and fully? Would you help us believe that in such a way that washes over us, that helps us to not need to find that from all the things around us and frees us actually to show that to people that maybe we feel uncomfortable around in situations where we would rather not be but can be because we're a fool in you, Jesus. That we wouldn't look to the city around us to fill our lack, but that we would look to you and then we would look to the city around us to give all that we can. Not in a way that burns us out, and, uh, but in a way that um, is genuine, is consistent, in a way that looks over the long haul, the, 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 the entirety of our lives, not these next few weeks. God, we, you know that we all have busy schedules. There's not a lot that we can add, but God, how can we be intentional with what we do and what we do have? And so we acknowledge you placed us here. Would you make us a people that, God, if Northbrook were to go away, our city would miss us. And, and God, we, we even confess and to acknowledge to whatever degree that's not true even now. And so would you help us make that true? Not for Northbrook's name, but for your renown, Lord Jesus. Because you're worthy of all things. You're worthy of the, the gl glory from every person that lives. And we want to we wanna be a part of that, and we want to be a part of what you're doing in the city around us. So help us. In Jesus' name, amen.